Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John that you may believe, stumble or stand. The original date of this message was the 5th of March, 2023. My name is Pastor Jason. And I'm the senior pastor here and privileged with the opportunity of, excuse me, bringing us to the word of God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So let me do that. By his grace, may the Lord Jesus teach us through the great helper, the Holy Spirit. Turn with me instead of starting in the, the gospel of John. I want to start somewhere else this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31 in a story that many of us are familiar with. What we are going to see this morning is that not all look at Jesus Christ and see him as good. Not all hear what he has to say and and love it. There are really only two kinds of people in this world when it comes to Jesus Christ. Those who stumble upon his words and those who stand on his words. And sometimes you see that in a great big group of people. And sometimes you see that with just one man. In a very quick encounter, you see that. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As he, Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I be saved? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Here Jesus knows his heart. He knows what he is relying on. He's relying on his own self-righteousness, his own goodness, his ability to live up to the law. I don't know what you're relying on this morning, thinking that that will get you to heaven. But unless you are relying on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that will not get you to heaven. Only Jesus will. We're gonna see that oh so clearly this morning. So look at where Jesus goes, knowing his heart. He says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And listen to this young man's response. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. kind of thinking he wasn't actually aware of the sin that he had in his own heart. Looking at him, notice this, the next phrase, at least in my new American standard, Jesus felt the love for him. Do you know that, that we can all say emphatically this morning, Jesus loves you? 
And he showed his perfect love by dying upon a cross. He displays his perfect love for this man in an entirely different way. Not as you and I would think he would display his love in the words that he says. Look at what Jesus says as as we see this is out of the love that Jesus has for this young man. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's what Jesus desires, that you and I, that we would follow him, that we would walk with him all of our days. But first you must trust in him as your savior. Not trust and rely on anything else but Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Dying in the place of ruined, wrecked sinners like you and me. You see, he's he's perfect. He didn't die upon the cross for any sins that he committed because he had no sin. He died upon the cross for sinners and he's talking to a sinner. He's talking to a sinner who thought he was good who thought he could earn his way to heaven through his own goodness, through his own righteous deeds. And what Jesus does is expose to this young man that which is the most important thing to him. Give it all up. Give it to the poor. Follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. How tightly do you hold on to what you have? Is that keeping you from Jesus this morning? And Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they they were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? As if thinking that being saved is an easy thing for somebody to lay aside their pride and to look at things as God sees them, and to look at their own life, and for us to look at our own lives and see our own lives as God sees our lives. And look at Jesus' response, oh, the grace of God. Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus, please tell me that it's worth it. That we haven't wasted our lives by leaving everything and following you. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times. As much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions. And in the age to come, he will receive what? Eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. Turn with me to John. 
I start with Mark. Why? Because Jesus says hard things. Jesus says things that, that, that we may not like. Jesus says things that are going to offend us. Jesus says things that are surprising coming from God. But Jesus says exactly what he intends to say in order to reveal who he is, the son of God, the only savior, the way, the truth, and the life. And he says what he says in order to reveal to us our own sinful hearts, that if we would humble ourselves, that we would recognize that he is there to receive us and to welcome us in to his kingdom. We're gonna, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back, which would be awesome in the next hour, we're gonna finish John chapter six this morning. I want us to remember John chapter six is all about basically one incident. One miracle that then leads into something amazing, a sermon that follows that miracle. Remember, a great big crowd was following Jesus. And they come to him, and then it's late. They're all supposed to go in their own way and go find their own food, according to his disciples. And, and Jesus says, no, no, let's, let's, let's feed them. And they say, even if we had thousands and thousands of dollars, eight months of, of a man's wages, we still wouldn't be able to feed them but just a little bit. And Jesus says, just watch and see what God can do. And he feeds not just 5,000, that's the men. 20, 25,000 people. And they eat as much as they want and then some until they're completely full to show you how marvelous God's grace is. And then we know what happens after that. He disappears. This big crowd goes and looks for him. They can't find him. They, They decide he must have gone to Capernaum with his disciples, so they follow him to Capernaum, and then he gives them this masterful sermon. In this sermon, he says, I am the bread of life. Eat from me and you will live. If you don't eat from me, you will not live. Implied, eat from me, you will go to heaven, or believe in me, you will go to heaven. Don't believe in me and you will go to hell. That's what Jesus is saying. And after he finishes this sermon, and makes it oh so clear there's only one way. Believe in me and you will have life. Then we see the response to his sermon in verses 60 to 71. John chapter 6. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, when they heard what? When they heard Jesus say, hey, eat from me, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. 
And as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we stop and we recognize that some stand upon your word. That they take your word as true. They take what you say as being completely true, Lord. And there are some who hear your word and they stumble over it. I pray that there would be no one here this morning who stumbles over your words. That your words would be clear. And that if anyone here this morning does not know you, has not believed in you as their savior, that they would trust in you and you alone this morning that you would cause the the scales in their eyes to disappear, Lord. The scales of unbelief, the blinders of unbelief, that you would open their eyes. You would allow them, give them saving faith to believe in you. And those of us who know you, Lord, may you work in this time now as we drink from your word deeply. May you cause us to stand upon your word and to live our lives for you in all that we do, Lord, to honor you, to share of you, to speak of you, to give you glory. So set me aside and allow your Holy Spirit to be our guide now, Lord. We love you and thank you for this opportunity and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what is it that is the great separator between what we see here in in John chapter 6 and back in in Mark chapter 10 and this young man who had all this wealth between those who stand on the words of Jesus Christ and believe what he says and takes them as true as Peter does and says, where else would we go? And those who, like the masses, that hear what Jesus says and says, you know what, I I don't want that. And they walk away. And they're saddened when they hear what Jesus says because they want to do it their way. And they want to keep living their life the way that they want to live. What's the difference? What's the separator between those two? What makes those stumble and the other one stand? It is this, it is how they respond to the words of Jesus. What will make the difference in your life is how you respond to the words of Jesus. Either you will believe and you will accept what he says is true and you will indeed gain eternal life because you will confess that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and you will believe in him and him alone and then you will gain eternal life or you will continue to stumble and to push away. 
That is what we see this morning. Clearly, it's, it's the response to the words of Jesus. I, I want to start off, all of us off this morning with, with this question. How do you respond to the words of Jesus? How do you respond to the word of God? How do you view the word of God? Is it precious to you? Is it something you can't do without each day? Or is it something that in your busy schedule you decide, you know, I'll just put that off till tomorrow? Because I got so many other things I need to do today. Let me, let me turn with us to Psalm 19. A psalm that is all about the word of God. There are so many different depictions, words used for the word of God presented to us in Psalm 19. It would be a great study for you to go through Psalm 19 and underline all the different ways that God's word is represented and how God's word should be to us. Do you recognize that the word of God is that which restores your soul? Are you depressed? Are you dissatisfied this morning? Jesus would say, come to me and eat from me. Dig into my word. Psalm 19, verses seven to 11. We're just gonna dip in just a little bit. Oh, the depths of God's word. The law of the Lord is what? The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring the soul, the testimony. It's another way, it's talking about the word of God. The law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment. That's just the first two verses. The testimony of the Lord is what? Is sure, making wise the simple. You want wisdom? Spend time in the word of God. Applying the word of God. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. And then look at verse 10. What a challenge. They are more desirable than gold. What is God's word? That's how David looked at God's word. How do you look at God's word? Do you look at it as something that is more desirable than gold? Yes, than much fine gold. How about the sweetness of God's word as you read it, as you spend time in it? Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You see, the problem with the rich young ruler, the problem with all those who abandon Christ and no longer follow him is this. They did not think that Jesus' words were worth listening to. And so what we see characterized for us are those who stumble on the words of Jesus and those who stand on the words of Jesus. Which one are you? And who we see first are the ones who stumble upon the words of Jesus. And it's easy for us to see why they stumble upon the words of Jesus. Because they tell us. They they tell us why this just isn't going well. They give us the lead into why we, we see that When we get to verse 66, they're going to say, as a result of what? As a result of all the things they just said, they withdraw. 
They don't spend any more time with Jesus. They've had enough of him. And we don't even know how long these guys have been with him. But most of them go back at least to the miracle. But remember, they were already following Jesus. They were looking for him before the miracle. So what we see first is why do some stumble? And, and, and let me make it personal for us all. Why do you stumble at times? Why do I stumble at times? It's because his words are difficult. His words aren't always easy for us to digest, for us to take in. That's what they say. That's literally what they say, right? Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, when they heard his whole sermon, but the, but the main point of his sermon is, hey, is there's, there's life outside of me nowhere. The only way you can find true meaning to your life is with me. So come and eat. No, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about believing in him. No doubt pointing forward to what he would do upon the cross. As we look back, they would look forward. And so we hear this. They say this is a difficult statement. Does that just mean hard? No, it's, it's much more than that. When they say difficult, the Greek means something that is harsh, that is unpleasant, something that causes an adverse reaction. We, we need to understand they also used it in terms when it came to wood and other things where, where it's rough. It's stiff. It's not what you would expect from, let's say, a carpenter who makes a beautiful chair or table for you. And you're expecting when this product comes to you that your family sits on it and, it, and it's, you're not going to get splinters by picking it up. As you rub your, your hands on the table, it's not going to be rough. Jesus' words, they, they, they went down, they were rough. They, they were hard to hear. We, we've already seen it with Mark in chapter 10 and the rich young ruler. How easy are Jesus' words? Oh, come to me and you will receive eternal life. Oh, that, that's easy. But all of his words, what about Luke 14, 26 to 27? Where he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are the words of Jesus. Matthew 16, 25 to 26, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what, profit, what, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So if you listen to the words of Jesus, you're, you're going to hate your mom, you're going to hate your dad, you're going to hate your children, you're going to hate your own life, you're going to become nothing in order to be something, you're going to die in order to live. How easy is it for us to take Jesus' words and just swallow them down? Oh yes, I, I get all that. 
How about verse 44 from last week? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Wait, I thought it was me that came to you. And now you're saying, no, that the only way you can do that is if the Father draws you. How, do, how does this go down? How do you swallow that? Do you, do you chew on it or do you just spit it out? When I was in Bible college, I got sick and I went to the nurse and the, and the nurse hands me this Alka-Seltzer and I'd never taken Alka-Seltzer. She said to swallow it, so I swallowed it. it. It was like, what I remember was the size of a half dollar, but it was probably the size of a quarter. I am so lame at swallowing, I'll just let you know. Malaria medicine, everything else, I, I, I gag most of the time just taking a small little pill. So I'm trying to take this monster thing and swallow it. And I finally get enough water that it, that it goes down my throat and then it gets stuck. And then I'm drinking more and more water and it starts fizzling and doing all this weird stuff coming out of my throat. And I'm booking it down the stairs at this time to go to the nurse because I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden it turns and I can't breathe except for out of my nose. Even there, I can't breathe very well. So what do I do? I just stop and I just reach in and I get my whole hand into my mouth. You'll do whatever in order to get this thing out. And I pull it out and I run up to the nurse. I'm like, you're killing me with this thing. And she's like, no, you're killing yourself. It dissolves in your mouth, Jason. You're not supposed to swallow it. Just let it dissolve in your mouth. I think that there's a lot of us that when it comes to Jesus' words, they get stuck and we spit them up rather than chewing on them and saying, Lord, how do I understand this? Please help me. I know you... You want me to hate my, my, my mom, my dad? No, no, no. I know you say other, other places I'm supposed to love others as much as I love myself. So, so what do you mean? Oh, you're talking about priorities. I need to be first. I need to be foremost in your life. So what they were understanding Jesus to say did not make sense. It was too difficult for them. It was abrasive. It was rubbing them the wrong way. And really the reason is was because of their lack of faith. We're gonna see that as Jesus goes on. But what Jesus says next isn't just abrasive. It isn't just difficult. He, he becomes, I, I believe, offensive. Look at where Jesus goes in 61 and 62. He, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, well, does that, does that cause you to stumble? Okay, well then take this. What if you actually see me ascending back to heaven to where I came from? He's pointing them back to what he said earlier that, that he had come from heaven. And do you remember what their response was? They, they pushed the pause button. They said, wait a minute, we know where you came from. Are you kidding me? We know your mom and your dad. We know that you're a carpenter's son. We know exactly who you are. You didn't come from heaven. And Jesus is saying, I did come from heaven. Either you believe me or you don't. And so in this, I, I believe at this point, his words become very offensive to them because he's going after exactly what they said. And he's letting them know you are wrong. I am right. I am God. I am the only one that can tell you who God is because I come from God. I am God. 
just as John opens up his gospel to let us know that Jesus was in the beginning with God, that Jesus is God and existed with God. So his words are difficult, his words are offensive, and then he goes on and then he also lets them know that they're weak. How many of you like to be told you're weak? You're weak and ugly. Yeah, we'll all sign up. No, we all push back. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not that weak. And yet what Jesus now says is there is no way for you to gain life unless, it's not just my father needs to draw you as he said in 44, but the spirit needs to give you life. Look at verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh, speaking to them, you guys in your flesh, it profits you nothing. You guys think you can find meaning in life through what you see in front of you, but what you don't understand, that will never satisfy. What I just gave you this other day and all that food that you ate, you think that's what's satisfying you, but that is not what will satisfy. Only I can satisfy you. Only the Holy Spirit can satisfy you because you're broken. Because you are of this ground, of this earth. And you have no answer to the problem of sin. I believe we could point back to Genesis 1. And what God says, why couldn't Adam and Eve stay in the garden? It wasn't just because they had disobeyed God. There was a tree in the garden of Eden that in their sinful state now, remember they weren't sinful before, but once they fell, once they disobeyed God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered the world, their whole disposition changed. God in his grace says, no, you can't stay here because there is a tree here called the tree of life. And if I keep you here, you will eat from that tree forever. And so what do we see people doing? Oh, I know it's in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones and this and that, and it's kind of fantasyful stuff. But the reality is so many people are trying to prolong their lives in a way that they never can. When Jesus Christ says, this is where the tree of life is, it is me. And you can't get it from anywhere else. Your flesh will not produce this. It needs to be given to you. And here is the gift of life. It comes through the Holy Spirit. That blessed Holy Spirit. Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, all will be lost. Jesus is saying to them, do you recognize you can't save yourself? Do you recognize that this morning? Do you recognize this morning that you can't become holy by yourself? That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, why he gives us a new nature, why he gives us the church, why he gives us one another so we can spur each other on to become more and more like him. So they stumble over Jesus' words because they're difficult because they're offensive, because they reveal their own weakness, and finally, because they reveal man's unbelief. We see this in 64 to to 66. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
They don't receive what Jesus says is true. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And as a result of this, look what happens. Many of his disciples withdraw and were not walking with him anymore. Notice who these folks were. What Jesus calls them. What John calls them on behalf of Jesus. He calls them disciples. There's a possessive pronoun before it, his disciples. It gives us the idea that these were actually true followers of Christ. But were they? They were not. They were false disciples. They were those who wanted Jesus their way and only their way. And as long as he was feeding them, then they were all for Jesus. But as soon as he basically says, hey, I'm not going to feed you forever unless you believe in me as the Savior, then they say, okay, we're out. We don't want this anymore. Notice here who is completely sovereign. Our God is. Jesus Christ is. He knows all things. He not only knows all things, he purposes and runs all things. Nothing takes our God by surprise. Nothing removes him from the throne that Jesus Christ is on. That doesn't mean that Satan isn't having a heyday. But anything that Satan does has to fall into the plan of our God. And even as we're going to see as we get to Judas, God can use something like Judas, someone like Judas, who is all about materialism. He's all about money. So much so that he really deceives Jesus and turns on him. And yet what does God do through that? He allows the son of God to be crucified, making a way for all of us who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to gain eternal life. God's in the business of taking something that looks so bad and making it an amazingly good thing. Such as Judas Iscariot, who we know not only deceives himself, but deceives all those that were with him, that were following him. So we see first those who what? Who don't stand upon the words of Jesus. They struggle with Jesus' words. They stumble over them. Finally getting to the point to where they just withdraw. They leave Jesus. And it's because of their unbelief. It's because they didn't want to be told how weak they are and that they could only be saved through Jesus Christ. They thought his words were offensive. They thought his words were difficult. But then we see God's grace on display. As Jesus uses this opportunity, we don't know exactly what the timing is, but I'm thinking that the disciples were there watching all of this unfold. As many, notice many, many of his disciples leave. Remember, what were they called at the beginning? They were called a great crowd. 
Then they were called a crowd. Then, then we see them described as Jews who don't do well with Jesus saying that he came from heaven. They push back on him. And so then we're, we're told, oh, well, now it's the disciples that are having a hard time with what he's saying. And we see that many of these disciples leave him and then we're introduced to the 12 for the first time. There's no background given in John as to when Jesus called the 12 to himself. He skips all of that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is front and center in all that happens in the gospel of John. He doesn't want us to lose Jesus as the primary focus by spending too much time on the disciples, even though he now, as he gets to this point, he lets us know he's only talking about 12. And yet Jesus sees it as an opportunity to not only show his love, but as a teaching opportunity to challenge their faith. Remember, this is all about believing. That's the whole reason why John wrote this gospel. So that you might believe and believing you might have life. So he's challenging them on their faith. And Jesus uses all of these people leaving and they're watching them. That's what I'm assuming. And then Jesus asked this crazy question. Do you not want to go away also? Do you? Have you guys had it too? Is it just too much? My word's too difficult, too offensive. And look at, G- look at Peter's beautiful response. But where are we gonna go? You see, nobody else has the key to life, has the words of life. Nobody else holds eternal life. Nobody else can give eternal life except for you. So why would we go somewhere else? And that is really the first reason that we see given as to those that would stand upon God's word, on the words of Jesus. Why do they stand upon his words? Because they see that he holds the words of life. Brother and sister, do you recognize that this morning? That the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who holds the words of life. But Peter doesn't stop there describing who Jesus is. He then goes on. And the second reason that they stay, that they stand on with Jesus is because they also believe something very significant about who he is. Not just what he possesses and what he can give, but who he is, that he is the holy one of God. That he is the set apart one. Set apart by God for a particular purpose, plan, job. It is the will of the father that he came to do. And what is the will of the father? That he would be the redeemer. He came to redeem us, to purchase us. Even as we sang earlier, in the greatest exchange ever, our sinfulness for his righteousness, this wonderful exchange, our bankruptcy for millions, billions of dollars untold in the grace of God, all through believing in Jesus. That is what Peter is saying. You are the holy one. You are the only one who is able to offer us eternal life because you are holy. You are without sin. You are the perfect one. Go 
consider this too. This, this is just amazing. Who's saying this? And what he's saying is when he says the Greek for believed and the Greek for come to know is, is in a tense in the Greek that means it happened one time in the past. So one day, I'm praying this has already happened for each one of you this morning. One day, Peter believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was not just any normal man. He believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Holy One, that he was the Christ, he was the Messiah, that there was no other way to gain eternal life but through Jesus. There was no other way to have his sins forgiven but through Jesus Christ. And when he believed that one day, that belief continues on to the present to tomorrow, to the next day. And what is Jesus Christ doing? He's building and strengthening Peter's belief. And that is what he's doing with any of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. The day that we believe, he transforms us. And as he's transformed, as he's finished transforming us, we then become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. There's a reality on the one side that we've been transformed completely. We've been brought from death into life. There's another reality on the other side that is the process of sanctification where we become holy as he is holy. And Jesus is using everything that is happening right before these 12 disciples to remind them that they must believe in him. And finally, what do they believe in him that they are then standing on what he's saying that he knows all things. As this had, had, had to be a tremendous shocker as Jesus says what he does in 70 and 71. Why? Because none of them knew this. As encouraging as it must have been for Peter to recognize that Jesus was there for him even when he denies him. This must have been a shocker. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He's not talking about choosing them unto salvation. He's talking about choosing the 12 as the apostles. And yet he says, hey, I chose you 12, but out of you, you know what I knew that you don't know? That one of you is a traitor. That one of you is gonna betray me. And he's gonna betray me, and Jesus knew this, with the most intimate means possible by kissing me. Such is the love of God. Such is the love of Jesus. That part of their plan, the triune God's plan of redemption included allowing one of the 12 apostles to turn on Jesus and be his betrayer. And Jesus knew it all. Jesus knew how many of this group was gonna leave him, but he still preached He still desired that they all would be saved. And it circles back around. So do they not come to Jesus because he's pushing them back? No, they don't come to Jesus because they weren't his in the first place. It's their rebellion towards God that keeps them away. It's their unbelief. It's what we've seen throughout the gospel of John. It's what we see here. It's the unbelief that keeps them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't believe him. And yet, even in this, there is so much encouragement, so much challenge for us. Let me, let me wrap up with this by circling back. Turn back with me to verse 66. 
We kind of flew through something that, that I want to make mention of that I haven't mentioned yet much, but it's something that we'll continue to see in the Gospel of John. It's this, this little metaphor. It's, it's very subtle. And we use the terminology all the time that we miss it now. But did you see exactly what these followers of Jesus do? They don't just withdraw. They don't just stop following him. It's very specific in what they don't do any longer. As a result of this, as a result of their unbelief, as a result of choking on the words of Jesus, stumbling all over his words, not believing in what he is saying, that he indeed is the word of life, as a result of that, many of his disciples withdraw and were not walking with him anymore. It's all about fellowship. It's all about walking with Jesus. If you are someone who stands on the words of Jesus, then it follows you're going to be someone who walks with Jesus. If we had time, I'd take us back through the first six chapters and I'd show you all the places where we can see that the disciples were walking with Jesus. Literally. Beginning with Jesus walking by John the Baptist and John the Baptist says, oh, hey, there's the Lamb of God and two of his disciples, John's disciples, what do they do? They follow Jesus. What's implied? They get on horses. They, they, take, they jumped on a bus with Jesus. No, what's implied is they walked with Jesus. Hey, where are you going? Follow me. That means walk with me. Walk with me. And as they're walking with him, it's, it's, it's what I picture in the road back to Emmaus with these two disciples that you see in Luke 24. What does Jesus do? He shows up right with these two and yet keeps them from recognizing who he is. And they walk with Jesus. And it isn't until he goes back to the Old Testament. Notice, and, and okay, write this down. Luke 24, 13 to 45. It's masterful. Jesus could have just pointed to his scars. Hey, look, it's me. Here's the proof. Hey, listen to my voice. You heard me before. Hey, look at my face. You know who I am. These were his disciples. But he doesn't do any of that. He points them back to this. He takes them to the, the words and the writings of Moses. Why? Because this should be our life. Because this is our lifeline to Jesus. This is our access to Jesus. This is how we get to know Jesus more and more so that as we walk with him, sometimes hand in hand, sometimes he has to pick us up. Why? Because we are so needy and we become so discouraged. And because we need him so much that we're just like, okay, yeah, I need you to pick me up and carry me through this because I can't do this on my own. It's, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's walking with him. That's what they abandoned. That's what they were doing. They were listening to him day in and day out. And it's not just the 12. There's, there's more that were with him, but in particular the 12. And just think of Judas, all the truth that he heard. And yet his heart was hard. And when all is said and done, all Judas cared about was money. And let that be a warning to us. Do you walk with Jesus through the ups and the downs of your life? Do you recognize the blessing that it is to walk with Jesus? 
and the blessing to walk with Jesus with others. You know, that's why we do family camps. That's why we do community groups. Not, not because even I as the pastor, you would think I would tell you that I have all the answers. Listen, let, let me let this out of the pack. I don't have all the answers. I, I'm sure you guys can stump me. Maybe even in, in things in, in biblical proportions where you come to the word. Well, what do you think about? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to look at that. But one thing I do know is that God's grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for me. It's sufficient for you. And God wants to use you in my life. And he wants to use me in your life. And, and that's why the body of Christ is oh so important because we need each other just as much as we need God's grace because God's grace comes through our gathering, spending time with one another. And as you walk with Jesus, you challenge me to walk with Jesus closer. Amen? Okay, there's points to ponder. There's other stuff. You, you come back to this passage and drink deeply of what is being presented to us here and how amazing it is that all of this happened according to the plan, the will of God the Father. And Jesus Christ was living perfectly out exactly what God the Father wanted him to do. And so he preaches a sermon knowing that the majority of the people weren't going to buy it. And yet he continues to pour out his grace. Oh, what a savior. Oh, what a redeemer. Let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your plan of redemption. We do not deserve your love. We do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve the words that you have given to us, Jesus. Not just your words, but all of your inspired revelation, Lord, that we hold in our hands, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Continue to teach us more and more about you, that we might walk with you all the days of our lives, that we might honor you all the days of our lives, that we might speak of you to others all the days of our lives for your eternal praise and glory. And we worship you knowing that one day these eyes of faith, they'll be exchanged for true eyes that will behold you and all that you are. And we will fall to our knees, probably to our faces in adoration and probably not even be able to speak because you are so, so good. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.